Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for 9708. This is part two of our study that we're doing on the 2012 end of the world scenario, the Mayan calendar, the coming pole shift. Next, we're going to be talking about the subject of Planet X, also known as Nibiru or Wormwood, the planet of the crossing. Sometimes it's referred to as Marduk. There's a five-part series up on the internet that goes into this subject in detail. Now, if ever I were to direct anybody to these, if they wanted to get educated on this particular subject, I always have a warning. And for the most part, the, the information that you're going to get regarding these subjects, and in fact, everything that I talked about today, they're not from Christian sources. Okay, There's very few articles or teachings about these particular subjects up on the internet at all. Um, partly because they're relatively a newer phenomenon that's been talked about. Uh, but this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this particular study, so that we could be armed with knowledge and have uh, look at this from a biblical perspective. Because for the most part, like I said, there's just not a lot up on the internet to, to get a Christian perspective on this. So really... When you view these types of things or, or listen to this type of information, you need to just glean from what you're getting and not put too much stock in it if it doesn't line up with the Bible in particular. So in this particular subject, uh, we'll start out with this little article that I've got here. and It said, in recent years, NASA confirms, has confirmed the existence of a massive, what they term as comet planet, that is said to pass every 3,600 years into our solar system in what they call a large elliptical orbit, meaning it's like a very, very long, elongated oval. It is possible that this coming planet, who they refer to as Nibiru, Wormwood, Planet X, will pass near the Earth, guess when? December 22nd, 2012. Now they're saying December 22nd here. Uh, but essentially, the end of the Mayan calendar. Okay, And it will trigger be the trigger for the cataclysmic events that we read in Revelation and Matthew 24. Now again, if that was the start, or in, around that time period was the start of the Great Tribulation, hey, that's the way it works out, then that's the way it works out. Uh, I'm not saying it is, though. But it's the only biblical scenario I can really come up with. So, if we read Revelation 8, starting at verse 10... Revelation 8, verse 10, this is regarding the third trumpet. And, it, and the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now, Wormwood is actually also considered an herb. In fact, they use that particular herb in uh, parasite cleanses and uh, cleansing programs many times. We go to verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet, of the three angels, which are yet to sound. So, they're saying that this planet, which has this large 3,600 year elliptical orbit, is going to come near the earth, or nearest the earth, on December 
essentially the end of the Mayan calendar, December 22nd, 21st, 2012. And may be a uh, trigger for the cataclysmic events that we just described here in Revelation and in also Matthew 24. <coughs> the close passing of Earth by a massive comet planet, and which really what we're seeing from the from the research that's out there, they're calling it what they call a brown dwarf star. Now we're going to describe that more in depth later. This this brown dwarf star or comet planet is larger than Jupiter and would place a powerful gravitational pull upon the Earth, which would cause a polar shift. Now again, you see how this is all tied into what we just talked about? That's why I wanted to do this particular study and the way we were doing it, because so many of these issues are interrelated. With 2012, the pole shift, Nibiru, Planet X, and we're going to be talking about crystal skulls next, okay? Because that's all tied in with 2012. So they're saying that this, that this planet coming near planet Earth could cause a massive polar shift. The Earth could flip on its axis, cause 1,000-foot high tidal waves, 300-mile-per-hour winds, and trigger every earthquake and volcano on the Earth to erupt at once. It is possible that eons ago this comet planet near past Earth and caused the polar shift and the great flood of Noah's day. Again, this also sounds like a cataclysmic judgment we read in Revelation 16 and Isaiah 24 during the tribulation. So that was just a little intro into this next part. Now, there's a book, many, many books now coming out on this Planet X thing. They're, and this book that I'm talking about here is entitled The Return of Planet X, X and it's a forecast of the 2009-2012 Cosmic Timetable. It's entitled A Natural Disaster Survival's Manual, Man's Ongoing Legacy with a Brown Dwarf Star by Jason Q. Rand, who is a Ph.D. I actually bought this book in order to study this particular subject. This isn't just a subject that I kind of looked at last week and decided to do a study on it. This is a subject I've actually been looking at for well over a year now and um, thought that this was an appropriate platform to bring forth this particular amount of information. Now, again, I'm not saying I buy into all this. I'm not saying that this is gospel fact, okay? If there is any validity to any of this, I think we could easily explain it from the Bible, okay? And that's why I'm doing this, to try to give us a biblical look at what this possible scenario will be. Now, we know that there is going to be this wormwood scenario according to Revelation 8. Yes, this could explain that, uh, so I, I want to look at this so we can kind of get a, a biblical uh, take on this. Now, this particular book has essentially 99% of the information out there on this subject is written from a New Age Ascended Master UFO perspective. And many times what they love to do in all of these scenarios, whether we're talking about the pole shift, 2012, whatever you want to look at, or this Planet X thing, is they love, these New Agers love to incorporate the Bible into what they're doing, is all of a sudden as though they're some biblical expert. And they love to try to incorporate the Bible into their New Age belief system. As long as it suits them, and they can glean and pick and choose whatever they want to do. But it doesn't make biblical sense much of the time what they're saying, as we proved with the whole world ending in 2012 scenario. Now I'm reading a forward to, to this, essentially to the book itself, The Return of Planet X, he goes, he starts by saying, we believe this book 
will set the stage for our country's cosmic destiny and that of planet Earth as the book of Revelation does regarding Wormwood, Revelation 8.11. Found in the epilogue of our prelude to 2012 Planet X countdown, we are pleased to present an excerpt listing of prophecies, visions, and readings of the near future as they appear to us beginning with phase one and then continuing through phases one, uh, two, and three. Now, in this particular book, I've read most of it. I pretty much skimmed through the whole thing. They have a lot of different people in there. He, he tries to quote the Bible a lot. In fact, that's what he tries to, to base. But this guy is... Um, we'll, we'll look at his background more in a second. But he's trying to take all the prophecies from every you know Catholic mystic, Nostradamus, you know, modern day ascended master stuff. He's trying to take all of these and to make sense of this whole Planet X um, Nibiru thing. The problem is, is, the Bible says that a fountain cannot yield both fresh and salt water, and a tree is known by his fruit. So, again, at the bare minimum, or at the bare maximum you would want to do regarding this information is glean and compare it with what the Bible says and see if there's any way it could line up. Okay? But it's not something that you want to just buy into hook, line, and sinker as a Christian. Because the person that's giving you this information is unsaved and on his way to hell. And ultimately, this type of information that we're going over today is going to be used to take millions of people to hell. And that's why I want to do the studies and, and expose these types of things. To have no uh, fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but to rather reprove them. Um, so if we go further, he says, These prophecies, visions, and readings of the future are not meant to scare or alarm you. Right but rather to inform and illustrate the dire situation we now find ourselves facing as Mother Earth, which is one of my favorite terms, or Mother Gaia, just teasing there, as Mother Earth is about to experience what many scientists, writers, theologians, and politicians, and everyday folk believe will be anticipated end-time global scenario surrounding Planet X's arrival in 2009-2012. So again, now notice they say 2009 we're going to get into that in a second, what that's all about. So, in 1982, NASA itself officially recognized the possibility of this legendary Planet X with an announcement that some sort of mystery object was really out there. Far beyond the outermost planets, this NASA statement appears to confirm those ancient 6,000, well, they're saying 6,000-year-old Sumerian pictograph descriptions of our planet's solar system containing at least one more planet the Sumerians called Nibiru, which means the planet of the crossing. Since then, the reason they call it the planet of the crossing is because it crosses into our solar system with this large oval elliptical orbit. Since then, NASA has been rather quiet about Planet X, which suggests that something quite mysterious may be out there lurking in our collective future. All the indicators are now in place to confirm Planet X's existence, and only time will tell the approaching 2009-2012 if the Sumerians, the Mayans, and the Aztecs were indeed correct. So they bring the Mayans into this particular scenario as well. For some unknown and truly arcane reason, the Mayan Celestial Calendar Codex inexplicably ends at December 21st, 2012. So you see how this whole Mayan 2012 thing is intricately related with so many of the coming predicted apocalyptic, they're calling, events 
end time scenarios, new age prophecies, integrally related in this. And again, there's very little Christian information out there to refute any of this. According to the ancient Mayan cosmology of time, as we know it on the planet Earth, will reach its climax on that date. And no one seems to know why. Written across the scroll of time and space, we believe planet X will return first in 2009, and again in 2012, with X's power being revealed. Its story is forever and its time is soon. The most current hypothesis we have to examine planet X's next return through the solar system centers around the fact that planet X's extended orbit, which is about every 3,600 years, first passing through the solar system, then back out again, suggests that its, quote, destructive cycle occurs in two phases. The first phase begins when this planet initially will pass through in 2009, which will be separated by three years until its second phase, wherein it makes a second pass through the solar system in 2012. Now, understand, if it's this large, what they call, elongated, what they call elliptical orbit, it's this, the way that they describe it on paper, and I know this is an audio, but it's this, it's this orbit that kind of comes, this planet comes through the solar system, and it comes in, and then... Um, goes around the sun and then comes back out. And this whole process regarding the earth, you're looking at about a three-year period. It goes in one way and then about three years later it comes back by the earth again. That's what they're, they're talking about here. The second pass-through is in 2012 and this is the one that they say is going to be the real hugely destructive phase. This passage of X return leg marks, uh, will mark its uh, return to deep space Beginning again, it's 3,600 year long trek through the heavens. Now a lot of you probably already have questions about, oh, if this is the case, why can't we see it? Why is this? Why is that? I'm going to explain all of that. And I will say that of all things that I'm talking about today, from a scientific standpoint, from a, of what they've admitted to, there's, there's a case here that can be made for this, okay? And I'm not talking about somebody's opinion. I'm talking about what NASA has admitted to, and it seems to be what they're covering up. Now, I'm not going to get into all that right yet, um, but we're gonna, we will get into that a little bit later. Um, again, I'm quoting from this article. He says, Presently, Planet X is a real hotbed battleground of political, religious, financial, environmental issues threatening to tear apart the fragile structure of our present-day 21st, 21st century civilization. So let's begin with the future as we see it developing on planet, on the planet Earth from 2009 and the 2012 event horizon. Hopefully we'll view the future together with a more positive, no-nonsense, let's-face-it attitude. Now again, this is coming from a guy who's totally unsaved. Okay, He's on his way to hell and Satan is has him in this position so he can take as many people to hell with him as possible. Ultimately, that's what we're all doing. Either we're taking, we're working in our lives to take people to hell, or we're working in our lives to, to lead people to Jesus Christ and lead them to truth. Uh, so, if we go further, it says Earth's calendar date is right now, when at the writing of this book, was two, uh, the summer 2007. Consider the facts of the overpopulation, global warming, badly depleted ozone layer, rainforest deforestation, uncontrollable wildfires, hurricanes, typhoons, storms, tornadoes, bringing global flooding, tsunamis, droughts, Arctic, Antarctic meltdowns, mass extinction of multiple plant and wildlife species, 
widespread famines, deadly disease outbreaks of animals and human origins, ever-increasing worldwide earthquakes and volcanic activity, all of which are collectively taking a heavy human toll on plant and also on the plant and the animal life, not to mention billions upon billions of dollars of global property damage, lost wages, the economy, and the major consumer disruptions to the everyday needs of its citizens. And so far, he's painting a pretty picture, and we have to admit that. Now, let's go to Matthew 24, verse 3. Matthew 24, verse 3, otherwise known as the Olivet Discourse, and regarding Jesus Christ. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him, privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the, end, the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Okay, so when Jesus comes back at the end of the seven-year tribulation, these types of things, and the end of the world, okay, they're asking him, what are going to be the signs? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. So again, this is the main warning Jesus always gives about the end times is to take heed lest no man deceive you. Because if we were just to buy into everything that we're seeing from the New Agers and the shamans and the ascended masters and all this information that's out there, and I don't care if it's from scientific sources or not, we're going to be deceived. Okay, We have to always go, go back to the Word of God. So he says, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. That's the first thing he warns about. Many coming... Um, in my name saying, I am Christ. Well, the one I think of right off the bat is Devil Betraya. I mean that Lord Betraya guy that we've done several teachings on. And she'll deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And we're, <laughs> that's all we hear about anymore. See that ye be not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet, it says. So, Jesus Christ says, in this next verse, is, is that see you, that you be not troubled. So, these are not things that we want to go off half-cocked and go crazy about and, you know, do all these things um, or, or make decisions based upon information from New Agers, the, new, uh, the, the, um, the scientists or whatever. We want to make sure that we filter all this through biblically, okay, which is hopefully what we're attempting to do today here. Verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. Okay, this is what it says is going to be near the time of the end. Okay, which is essentially where we're at, and we're seeing these things. Then it says, All of these are the beginning of sorrows. This is just the beginning. But it also says, Be not troubled. Okay? Then shall they deliver you up, to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and many and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Well, one of the things I see anymore is how easily offended people get. How incredible, and this is very, very true of, of the average pseudo-Christian, how easily and thin-skinned people are, and how easily they will turn on you like a rabid dog whether they're secular or call themselves Christians. I've just seen so much of that that, you know, it's, it's sickening. Verse 11, And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Well, just think of good old Todd Bentley. We just did nine teachings on that guy. And he's a false prophet. He's just one of the many of thousands of false prophets worldwide. And it just doesn't have to be in the Christian realm. 
You could look at the Hindus and the Buddhists and the gurus and the shamans and the ascended... There's all these false prophets that say they have truth. But unfortunately, the truth that they have to give does not line up with the word of God, which has to be the standard. So, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Okay, so, in other words, when iniquity abounds, or when sin abounds, which is what we're seeing more and more, what, it do, what that does is it quenches love. Okay? The love of many shall wax cold. Bible says in Psalm 12, verse 8, that the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. So the wicked walk on every side... When the vilest men are exalted. You have a lot of people in Hollywood, in high government, in all forms of captains of industry that are vile and wicked men. And when that happens, and they're exalted, they're, they're praised. Whereas God says, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So when you have that particular scenario going on where vile and wicked men and women are being exalted and put in a position of preeminence as though they're good, that it says the wicked are going to walk on every side. So it shouldn't be any surprise to us when you look out there and you just see wickedness everywhere. Because the vilest men now are, are being exalted. And there's many false prophets that are rising, and they shall deceive many. And then because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Then it says in verse 13, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And, the God, and again, I believe this, this is in reference to the Holy Spirit living inside a person. And what we need to do in the day and times are coming, we have to do through the Lord. We have to do through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will endure to the end in, in that regard, okay, with the Holy Spirit living inside us. But that's the only way you could have the strength to do that. Then it says in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the world for a witness unto all the nations, and then shall the end come. Verse 15, And when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand, then let him which are in, uh, in Judea flee into the mountains, let him which is on the housetop not come down or take anything out of his house. Okay, we go further, further. Verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not in the beginning of the world and to this time, nor no, nor shall ever be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets. Again, it says it right here. False Christ, false prophets. And shall show great signs and wonders insomuch if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, you hear me quote a lot of times, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And primarily, that's going to be done by false Christs and false prophets with great lying signs and wonders. So that's what, that's what we should be expecting. Okay? And that's what we see a lot of times in the charismatic movement or, or in New Age movement and these types of things. But it says, when we, when we talk about the Great Tribulation... Basically, it hinges upon verse 15. When ye therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet, uh, Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, that is essentially the marking of the midpoint of the, three and a half, uh, of the seven year tribulation. That's the three and a half year. And that's going to be the start of the great tribulation. When the Antichrist comes into the temple and essentially proclaims himself to be God, 
and commits the abomination of desolation, that's when the great tribulation is going to start. Okay? So again, that does relate to kind of what we're talking about today here. And I, I just wanted to kind of touch upon that. We go back to this article. Are all the st- and then again, this is, in, this is like the prologue to this book okay, about Planet X. Are all the stories about UFO and ET associations with the nature, with the return of Planet X true? Now, you may not have known about that, but there's a lot of talk about the connection between the UFO phenomenon, the extraterrestrial phenomenon, and the arrival of this planet X. Okay? And could the modern-day mythos surrounding the subject of the UFO, ET, crash flying saucers, human contactee, abductees, cattle mutilations, uh, crop circle phenomenon, the greys, the U.S. astronaut encounters, and the UFOs on the moon and those with constant nagging rumors that many of the world's major governments are deliberately hiding or at best covering up the truth about the UFO ET phenomenology, giving rise to further speculation that quite possibly the biblical Nephilim, those extraterrestrials often associated with the subject of Planet X's return, may already be back on Earth a wee bit early perhaps. Now this is this New Age guy that, uh, that, that's talking about this. And he's talking about this whole UFO phenomenon. And he's tying this in integrally with this planet X thing. Now, we've done several teachings on the UFO phenomenon, on the ancient astronaut, on the, on the, on the Nephilim. And he brings that into it because he's saying maybe they're already back a wee bit early, these biblical Nephilim. Now, the Bible does say, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. If we were to go back to Noah's day, the greatest story you would come back to this day with would be that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives all that they chose and they had children. These fallen ones, these Nephilim, giants, the men of old or the men of renown, that would be the greatest story you would bring back from Noah's day, not just that they were marrying and giving in marriage. There'd be a little more going on than that. We know it was the most, one of the most wicked times in humanity. It also says as it was in the days of Lot. What was the days of Lot? Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the most wicked cities that the world's ever known was destroyed with fire and brimstone. So we know that, that as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, we're looking at a very, very incredibly wicked world, which is where we're at pretty much right now. Okay? These are things that we should be looking for. But what I'm telling you with this Planet X scenario is that the, even the New Agers are admitting the biblical Nephilim is integrally related with this. Since I've done so many other studies on that, I thought it is important for you to understand that's even what they're admitting to. They're saying these, these biblical Nephilim are back um, with a bold new game plan, for, but this time for helping us out. See, these are the good aliens. It's like good white witchcraft. You know, there's bad black witchcraft, and there's good white witchcraft. There's good aliens, and there's bad aliens. Well, again, if you believe that, you really probably want to consider getting rid of your Bible because you cannot have it both ways. They're evil, either evil or they're not. Okay, But they're going to help us out, what he's saying, via the rapture scenario. Most likely a false rapture. And how that's going to go down, I can't say 100% for sure. When Revelation's Wormwood returns again, he's saying that there's going to be a possible rapture scenario. Yes, and they truly believe it is going to be... Uh, so, that's what he believes. But see, it's going to be these, these good aliens rapturing the, the, the people that are ready off the planet so that they can avoid all these cataclysmic events. 
We also believe that as 2009-2012 soon approaches, we will begin seeing an ever-increasing number of verifiable, documented UFO sightings occurring and developing on a massive global scale. Now, we have seen... I've, I've done... I don't know how many stories I've put out on the uh, email newsletter that I have. Now, I have two newsletters. Uh, I have a Christian in a health-oriented newsletter. I would, I would advise, if you're going to get on the list, I would advise getting on both because there's a lot of very important subjects that do relate to the end times on both of them. Okay, um, So if you want to get on those lists, just email me, tell me what list you want to be on, and um, I'll put you on. My email address is on, the, on my homepage there. So we go further here. He's saying that we're going to be seeing a verifiable, documented UFO sightings ever-increasing and ever-developing. And again, there's been so many lately, particularly in America and in England, that have been verified through governmental sources. They've been sometimes on the nightly news, these types of things. We're getting prepped and ready. They're prepping us and trying to ready us for what is coming, is the point here. Now, the humans are also waking up to the reality of the UFO ET phenomenon. Numerous books, magazine articles, radio, television shows are captivating the public's attention. And now they're all dealing with this serious subject on a much more frequent basis. Most major cities now have support groups and frequent lectures on the contact abductee phenomenon. Oh, that's what you need to do. We need to get into a, a maybe a new age support group for our, you know because we've been abducted and we need to share our experience with other abductees because that's going to make everything better. It's not going to help a thing. All you're going to have is a bunch of people that don't even have the truth get around and talk about something that they don't even have the solution for. And it's a verifiable fact that people that get abducted, if they will cry out and really believe what they're doing, have faith to believe if they will cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, the abduction scenario stops every single time. And I don't mean some new ager that's crying out to ascended master Jesus. I'm talking about somebody that really is believing in Jesus Christ or the Bible. Okay? There's a whole uh, group called CE4 Research. CE4, the capital C, E, is in Edward, number four, research, with a guy named Joe Jordan. He's pretty much at the head of it. And they have documented... Hundreds of cases where this has happened. And I've tried to email some of these people that get abducted I've, I've, you know, up on the internet about this. They don't want to hear it. No, no. Anything but crying out to the Jesus Christ of the Bible. No, 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 no. They'll wear tinfoil hats. They'll have their special um, you know, oval secret decoder, oval teen secret decoder ring, or their special crystals that they'll have in the drawer, or they'll pray to their ascended master for protection. They'll do all those things, but they will not turn to Jesus Christ. That, that's not even an option. They would rather keep having these horrific abduction experiences, of which anywhere from 2 to 4% of the population in America says they've been abducted. They can't all be nuts. And I've got into this in previous teachings before. So, this is another end-time delusional event. So he's saying that most major cities now have support groups and frequent lectures on the contact, the abductee phenomenon, with folks from all walks of life beginning to openly discuss their ET experiences regarding apparent genetic manipulation at the hands of these otherworldly beings. Yeah, they seem to be obsessed with the reproductive organs. It should also be noted that this aspect of our writing research soon proved to be much more involved, interesting, and daunting than we ever imagined. 
We suggest to our readers that they investigate the UFO ET phenomenon with an open mind. Oh, yeah. Linked to our concept that the larger cosmic picture of our Planet X saga may well involve a connection to the UFO ET hypothesis. Yes, all these things I'm talking about today are part of the end time delusion. Every single bit. And that's why we're talking about it. Lest Satan get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. There are literally thousands of books written on the subject available in bookstores, libraries, and the internet. We firmly believe the UFOs and the ETs are intricately connected to the Planet X drama. And this aspect of Earthian reality cannot be ignored much longer. Well, yeah, he's probably right. He's probably right. It can't be. And again, what are the typical churches doing to prepare their congregations for the coming delusion and deception? I'm not saying everybody needs to do exactly what I do, but shouldn't there be some type of preparing, prepping the congregation for the strong delusion that the Bible says God was going to send in Second Thessalonians chapter 2? Or that when Jesus, we, we just looked at Matthew 24, where he says, Be not deceived about the false prophets and the Christ, the lying signs and wonders. No, no, there's not a whole lot of the warning there. It's, that might take away from the tithe plate or whatever. They might lose their 501c3 tax-exempt status. So now, this author that's writing this that we're talking about today, although he may fancy himself to be an expert on Planet X, okay, he is a self-admitted, and I got this straight out of his book, this author is a self-admitted UFO ET contactee abductee since the age of 11. Now, that's not on the cover of the book. It's about 40 pages into it. But I made sure I highlighted and bolded that one. And he was supposedly given the extraterrestrial assignment, homework assignment, of writing a number of books on this topic. So see, unless you read this book, you, you don't really understand where this guy's coming from. This is a very, very common theme regarding this information that we're going to be talking about. It's always some, you know... UFO, Ascended Master, channeling thing where they're getting this particular type of information from. Now, in this particular subject, I do believe there's some things we can look at scientifically to make a case where we don't even have to get new age. But nevertheless, when you, when you, when you get into this type of information, that's what you're going to expect to find. Once the Okay, going back to the article, once the approaching brown dwarf which is this Planet X, becomes visible, and we're going to explain what that is later. Once the approaching brown dwarf becomes visible in the sky, the general public is going to panic. Now, from all the sources that I've seen that are reporting on this Planet X scenario, they're saying this general public panic thing is a foregone conclusion. The reason that we haven't heard about this, according to them, is because if they were to tell us about this, we'd all go crazy nuts start doing whatever and, and throw the whole world into mass chaos. Okay. If this in this climate of, of panic, if the government allows law and order to break down, spilling anarchy into the streets, unruly crowds will severely damage the vital economic infrastructure by the U.S. and other Western Asian economies, which they're so dependent. If this uncontrolled rioting and mayhem spills out into local neighborhoods, and into the business districts of society, burning, looting, ultimately destroying businesses that drive this and other global economies, we're going to have a very difficult time recovering from the upcoming disaster. So let's not forget what happened in New Orleans and along the Gulf Coast, where things are still not the same approaching two years later. So now, 
let's combine this scenario with a possible, let's say for argument's sake, pandemic, avian flu type scenario with World War III, with a terrorist nuclear attack on American soil or other where, with the official disclosure of the UFO ET Ascended Masters. You could go on and on and on about this, okay? And most likely, that's going to be the exact same scenario. Because Satan is going to, when these events start to become triggered, he's going to do so for maximum impact, maximum shock value on humanity. Okay? That's what Satan would like to do, because the more he can traumatize you, the better. So, Planet X is admittedly a volatile, argumentative, controversial, and in many cases a politically socially and religiously charged subject. By keeping an open mind, heart, and spirit, your vested interest level will provide rewards both surprising and plentiful to the seekers of truth. This guy doesn't operate in truth. The people putting forth this information don't know what truth is. What is truth, according to the Bible? Thy word is truth. That's the definition of truth. The word of God is truth. The King James Bible is the modern-day English equivalent of, of the Word of God, okay? And essentially, the Bible says, Thy Word is truth. And then if we go further, Jesus said, If you continue in my Word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's how we continue in truth, is through His Word, okay? And again, this purely what we do with these new age sources, is gleaned from them and see how it possibly plays into the coming end time delusion. He goes on in this, um, where, he's, where he's talking about you know, truth and these types of things. This is a concept that new agers, like the man who wrote this book, they don't comprehend what real truth is. Why? Because there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. All these people that get in on all this, this crazy new age stuff, that's what they're doing. And the Bible says that in Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And they're trusting their heart. However, the, going back to the article, once forewarned with the knowledge and the information about planet X is contained in this book, your imagination should take over creating your own prophecy regarding your own near future. Your own prophecy? Whatever. Added to this implied threat that we believe Planet X poses to our world, we must nevertheless also factor in the ever-present danger of global terrorism, regardless of its origin, poses on our 21st century, and therein lies the never-ending question. Where and when do we begin to examine the problem of good versus evil? Oh, we're going to find the answer to that with a new ager. Yeah. Armageddon is the place where the final battle between good and evil will be fought. Probably a reference to the battlefield at Megiddo, an ancient city in northern Israel on the plain of Esdralon, most often identified with the biblical Armageddon and prophecy. Now, isn't it amazing? We got this new age here, and now he's starting to do a Bible study for us. He's, he's a self-admitted alien abductee, and now he's going to give us a Bible study. That's where we want to go to get the, the true word of God. Yeah! Where do I sign up? Revelation 16.16 says, And he, the Lord, gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. This place called Megiddo uh, is perhaps the world's most contested piece of territory, and Bible prophecy tells us that once again it will become the focal point for the spiritual battle fought beyond our comprehension. Didn't that come full circle, and doesn't that 
passage qualify for the end time end times best reading list? That's what he poses the question. This author believes we've already entered the time period identified by the modern day Christians as the end times. I, I guess he feels that we're already in the tribulation or something. Even though there's all these other things that have to happen that haven't happened for that to go on. But anyway, I mean, as the Antichrist confirmed the covenant for seven years, is the Antichrist ruling the world right now? Do we have a one-world government, one-world religious system, one-world political system? I'm not saying that all has to happen instantaneously to start the tribulation. But has any of that gone down? No, sorry. We're not in the tribulation. Okay? So I, I, it amazes me where I, where I hear, yes, we're, we're in great tribulation right now. I'm like, really? Why? I wasn't aware of that. I mean, there's all these things in the Bible that haven't happened yet, and you say we're in great tribulation? No, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, these are the beginning of sorrows, and all these things must come to pass prior to the actual tribulation starting. So he's saying, this, this New Age guy, um, he believes they've already entered the time period identified by modern-day Christians as the end times, heralding the return of Jesus Christ to his faithful church on planet Earth. Who is, who is the faithful church on planet Earth? He says, Rome and Salt Lake City included. <laughs> so, anyway, now we know who the faithful are. The Roman Catholics with the Mormons, Salt Lake City included. I'm so glad we got that cleared up. And you know what, I guess I need to convert, because I'm, I'm on the wrong boat here, evidently, huh? Anyway, sorry. Although the word rapture never appears in the Bible, many Christians profess the belief that Christ himself will return with legions of angels to first remove his flock from the world via the rapture scenario for safekeeping and then proceed to destroy the forces of hell in the final battle between good and evil Armageddon. So here's my personal prophecy and forecast for the earth's near future and beyond the heading. So now, this scenario here, I, I've never quite heard this one, the rapture is going to occur right before Armageddon now. This is the pre-Armageddon rapture. I had never heard of this one before. Heard pre-rap, pre-trib, you know, a lot of different raptures in there. But now this is the pre-Armageddon rapture. So anyway, I little, wanted to clear that up there a little bit. Um, he goes into these different phases, and I'm just going to touch on a few of these. Phase one, will it Armageddon happen in our lifetime? Yes, when exactly? We believe the clock's been ticking for several years now, and our best guess estimate lines up with 2009. Wow, we, I didn't realize we were, uh, we were uh, that far along. Huh, anyway, but again, this is what happens when you get away from the Word of God. He says that in 2009, then uh, this will be the start of real hostilities, then escalating in the global war with nukes flying everywhere until the planet really gets toasted, or until some extraterrestrial intervention arrives, be it spiritual, which he terms as the Lord, or celestial, which he terms as planet X. And again, he is referring, what he's doing is calling good evil and evil good, because he's saying these spirits that are come back going to come back to rapture us, or who he's saying the Lord, or the Lord Jesus, is going to be these good ET extraterrestrials who are going to come and help us and intervene and possibly rapture the good guys out. Now, wouldn't it be weird if we had a possible rapture scenario and all the real New Age guru guys are the ones that get raptured and all the true Christians are left behind and people that have believed in this one thing or another and they, they fall away because they've they said, well, this isn't what I was taught in you know, a church or whatever. You're going to see a lot of that in the day and time coming. 
Will the so-called rapture really happen, he says. Perhaps so, and for all the reasons previously stated, although the actual facts and error details may slightly, may vary slightly from prevailing wisdoms of the day and various Christian faith interpretations of the Bible's sacred word. It's funny, he calls the Bible sacred, and he doesn't even remotely follow its tenets. He just likes to pick and choose some verses in Revelation to bolster his argument. And this is what we see a lot. So don't, please, if you're reading some of these New Age people and they start to quote scripture for you, don't be impressed. Because they're not following the very book that they sometimes call sacred. And you could go down that rabbit trail all day long. This, and then he, he says, this will be phase two. Will planet Earth continue to suffer growing pains and more severe natural disasters as 2009-2012 approaches? You bet. And we believe that planet X is the likely culprit here. You bet we do. Is there any chance this bitter cup will pass our way? Sure, anything's possible. But it's highly unlikely with all the warning signs we see everywhere. Will mankind survive a pole shift? Should one occur in 2012? Absolutely. But we don't expect things to be the way they were are now. He says, bye-bye modern-day civilization with all its conveniences. When should you begin preparing, and when will this help? As soon as you feel it's right for you to begin the process, and yes, it will happen. Phase three. Long-range forecasts include a continuing escalation of more severe dramatic earth-changing events sweeping across the globe, approaching 2009-2012, with specific focus on powerful tropical storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, blah, blah, blah. Governments of the world will be overwhelmed with the scope and tragedy of the mega-natural disasters. Momentarily, they will seemingly all agree and join together, all the while secretly planning their individual conquests over the remaining survivors still strong enough to defend themselves. Ancient Sumerian pictographs and secret documents reveal that our solar system had at least one more planet. They called this the planet of the crossing, planet X. You see, X is unique in that we believe it maintains a most unusual elliptical orbit around the sun. They also called this planet Marduk, the Sumerians called it Marduk, which is one of the devil, fallen angelic gods of, of the Bible that is even mentioned. Okay, So it's never associated with something good, is what I'm trying to say. Marduk is not a good thing. This elliptical orbit orbit takes approximately 3,600 years to complete its long predicted orbital return ripping through the solar system. So in other words, it takes us a year to go around the sun. It takes it 3,600 years. Okay? During this brown dwarf's uh, travel, or what he calls the apogee, which is the furthest phase of its fixed orbit, its distance is so great from Earth that Planet X's natural reflected sunlight cannot be detected, not even by the Hubble Space Telescope, one of NASA's most powerful satellite-based eyes in the space-orbiting Earth. Now, again, we're going to discuss what a brown dwarf is in a little bit. I kind of want to just build on this, and we're going to get into some more specific terminology a little bit later. Now, if we go to a New York Times article that appeared June 9, 1982. New York Times, June 9, 1982, because this was a long time ago. I'm quoting from that article where it says, Something out there beyond the farthest reaches of the known solar system seems to be tugging at Uranus and Neptune. Some gravitational force keeps perturbing these two giant planets. Perturbing would mean disturbing their orbit, orbital patterns. Causing irregularities in their orbits. The force suggests a presence of a faraway, unseen, a large object that may be the sought-out planet X. The last time a serious search of the skies was made led to this, the discovery of Pluto 
1930, who they deemed as the ninth planet, but Pluto has lost that status as of late. I don't know if you know this. Pluto is only 60% the size of our moon. It's not big enough to be a planet. Okay, So it's recently been declassified as a planet, just so you all know. In 1982, NASA themselves officially recognized the possibility of Planet X. This is quoting from that article in the New York Times. NASA officially themselves recognized the possibility of Planet X with an announcement later on that some sort of mystery object is really there far beyond the outermost solar system. And then one year later, the newly launched IRAS, which stands for Infrared Astronomical Satellite, spotted a large mysterious object in the depths of space. The Washington Post summarized an interview with the chief IRAS scientist from JPL in California, quoting him as follows. Quote, a heavenly body possibly as large as the planet Jupiter and possibly so close to Earth that it would be part of the solar system has been found in the direction of the constellation Orion by an orbiting Earth telescope. All I can say is that we don't know what it is, stated Jerry Nugentbauer, chief IRAS scientist. Okay, so this is what they admitted to at the time. Now, now again, this next part... I don't think, I, they, when we talk about Zechariah Stitchin, I am not saying follow that guy, okay? Personally, I think he's a devil. Okay, that's my opinion of Zechariah Stitchin. I'm not saying that every bit of his research, though, has no merit, okay? And this has actually a lot less to do with Zechariah Stitchin as it does the actual documentation that's out there. In a 1992 video, Zechariah Stitchin first offered a revealing excerpt from a 1992 NASA press release. NASA press release from 1992 says, quote, Unexplained deviations in the orbits of Uranus and Neptune point to a large outer solar system body of four to eight Earth masses. In other words, it's four to eight times the size of Earth. On a highly tilted orbit beyond seven billion miles from the sun. Now, understand... We've just flipped to 1992 now. NASA gives a press release. This is the quote. And they say this is on a highly tilted orbit, this um, large outer solar system body of 48 Earth masses, and it says it's beyond 7 billion miles from the sun. Remember this number. Remember the 7 billion miles from the sun and 1992 NASA press release, because we're going to come back to this. Now, after this announcement was made in 1992, the whole topic of Planet X in this particular subject has went silent from NASA, from the media, from everything. We haven't heard a peep since then, 1992. That's quite a long time ago, 16 years. And at the time, you know, they're saying all this stuff, and they've been saying it since 1982, and then all of a sudden they just go silent about it. Kind of weird. Kind of weird. Sitchin is extremely precise in such matters, and this NASA quote is a bombshell. Nonetheless, now this is from this article I'm talking about, um, and I'm going to provide these links up on the PDF to this teaching, so you can click on them and read more if you like. Sitchin is extremely precise in such matters, and, and this NASA quote is a bombshell. Nonetheless, we vetted this so that we could use this quote in Planet X Forecast and the 2012 Survival Guide, which is a different book than what I was quoting from previously. To do that, we stated, we started with the 2003 interview article on our site by Steve Russell. 
In the interview, Sitchin states, quote, Some ten years ago, the U.S. government itself, through its naval observatory, led the search for Planet X, and the team's leader, Dr. Harrington, agreed with my ancient evidence. At that time, even the New York Times wrote that all that is left regarding the existence of such a post-Plutonian planet is to name it. I have no doubt at the right time, right in front of the eyes of whoever decide these matters, the existence of Nibiru, or Planet X, will be officially confirmed, end of quote. Now, when discussing the Planet X with rejectionists, expect the Eris retort, which is the evidently one of the uh, things that people bring up as an argument against it, <clears throat> where they say, well, they found that silly thing, and they called it Eris, the tenth planet. In other words, regarding Plan X. There seems to be this enduring misinterpretation that this lifeless rock called Eris is Planet X or Nibiru that we've been looking for since the discovery of Uranus, which is wrong. Eris' object is slightly larger than Pluto and a little better than 60% the size of our own moon. That means it has nowhere near enough mass to be Planet X. Ergo, it was designed, it was designated a dwarf planet along with Pluto. In other words, this Eris planet was designed was actually designated a dwarf planet with Pluto. It's not big enough to actually be considered a planet or Planet X. In Steve Russell's interview, Sitchin refers to the New York Times. Since he lives in New York, Sitchin follows the newspaper with great interest, as do others. One in particular is John DiNardo. A few days ago, he emailed me two JPEG images of a... 1983 article that appeared in the New York Times. It turned out to be a wonderful bit of synchronicity. That's what we're going to be talking about next. On January 26, 1983, NASA launched the first, or launched the infrared astronomical satellite, the ARAS, IRAS, which we talked about earlier. Uh, and again, it was launched on January 26, 1983. Independent Planet X researchers have long held the idea that the IRAS satellite imaged Planet X during its sky survey. With that thought in mind, enjoy the following New York Times article published just four days after the IRAS launch. This is from New York Times, Sunday, January 30th, 1983. It is entitled, Clues Get Warm in the Search for Planet X by John Noble Wilford. Something out there beyond the farthest reaches of the known solar system seems to be tugging at uh, Uranus and Neptune, some gravitational force, keeps perturbing these two giant planets, causing irregularities in their orbits. The force suggests a presence far away and unseen, a large object that some may view as the long-sought planet X. Evidence assembled in recent years has led several groups of astronomers to review the research for the 10th planet. They are devoting more time to the visual observations with the 200-inch telescope at Mount Palomar in California. They are tracking two pioneer spacecraft now approaching the orbit of distant Pluto to see if variations in their trajectories provide clues to the source of this mysterious force. And they are hoping that the satellite-borne telescope launched last week will detect heat signatures from the planet or whatever is out there. The infrared astronomical satellite was boosted into a 560-mile-high polar orbit Tuesday night from Vanderburg Air Force Base in California. <clears throat> It represents a $80 million venture by the United States, Britain, and Netherlands. In the next six or seven months, the telescope is expected to conduct a wide-ranging survey of nearly, nearly all the sky, detecting sources not, uh, not visible to, in ordinary light, but in the infrared 
radiation range, which is invisible to the human eye and largely absorbed by the atmosphere. Now, this is a reason why you can't just go by a telescope and see this thing. Okay? It's not visible to the normal eye. If this is true, that's the reason you couldn't see it. It is what they call a brown dwarf star. A brown dwarf star, and this is from the research I've done, is the most common type of star in the universe, according to the research and the astronomers that talk about this. The reason um, it, these brown dwarf stars are shrouded by large dust clouds and due to the fact of their failed ignition because they don't have sufficient mass to ignite. See, our sun has, was big enough to actually ignite itself. In order for a star to be a star, it has to be big enough to ignite itself. Okay? A brown dwarf star is a star that doesn't have sufficient mass to ignite and become a sun. Okay? And because it doesn't have the sufficient mass, it's, it, they're usually surrounded by these large dust clouds which makes it all the more harder to see. You can only see these things in the infrared uh, radiation range until they get to a certain distance away from you, and then you can actually visualize them. This is the reason they're saying we cannot see the thing. I think if there's any validity to this, that is a, is a plausible explanation. Planet X, they're saying, is quite possibly an old, unborn companion to our own sun. And this is a very common scenario in the universe. In other words, wherever you... When you look out in the universe and telescopes, the astronomers have observed that many times wherever they see a sun, they see a brown dwarf near that. Evidently, it's just a very common way that suns, that God made suns. They, they a lot of times will have companion uh, stars, or many, many times they're brown dwarf stars is what they're referred to. So this IRAS telescope has the capability to see the type of infrared radiation that a brown dwarf star would give off. Not only that, it's up in space, so it doesn't have to look through our atmosphere. So it gets a much better look in space. Um, scientists thus hope that the new telescope will chart thousands of infrared-emitting objects that have gone undetected, uh, which would be things like stars, interstellar clouds, asteroids, and with any luck, the object that pulls um, at the two planets that we mentioned. Recent calculations by the United States Naval Observatory have confirmed the orbital per perturbation exhibited uh, which Dr. C. Van Flandern, an astronomer at the observatory, says could be explained by a single undiscovered planet. He and a colleague, Dr. Robert Harrington, calculate that the tenth planet should be two to five times more massive than Earth and have a highly elliptical orbit, orbit that takes it some five billion miles beyond that of Pluto. Hardly next door, but still within the gravitational influence of the Sun. And again, this is why we don't see it very often, because it's normally not even in our solar system. It's way, way beyond it. At a scientific meeting last summer, the 10th planet partisans tended to prevail. Alternative explanations for the outer planet perturbations were offered. More credence was given to the hypothesis that a brown dwarf star accounts for the mysterious force. This is the informal name astronomers give to celestial bodies that were not massive enough for their thermonuclear furnaces to ignite, perhaps like the huge planet Jupiter. They just miss being self-illuminating stars. See, Jupiter's almost big enough to be its own star, but not quite. So it was never able to actually ignite. Most stars are paired. So it is not unreasonable to suggest that the sun has a dim companion. Moreover, a brown dwarf in the neighborhood might not reflect enough light to be seen far away, said Dr. John Anderson of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. It is gravitational forces, however, should produce enough 
energy detectable by the infrared astronomical satellite. So this particular telescope up in space can see it. Whatever the mysterious force, be it a brown door for a large planet, Dr. Anderson said he was quite optimistic that the infrared telescope might find it and that the Pioneer spacecraft could supply an estimate of the object's mass. Of course, no one can be sure that even this discovery would define the outermost boundary of the solar system. Next part. A core of the recent book, Planet X Forecast, and a 2012 survival guide, core to this book is that the Planet X is a brown dwarf. The author of the book Dark Star, Andy Lloyd, who is a frequent guest on this particular show they have, also insists that this is a uh, uh, the sun's companion is this brown dwarf star. This website stand on this matter is based on detailed historical accounts of the previous Planet X flybys containing what they call the Colbrin Bible. I never heard of this one. These prescient accounts of the Egyptian and Celtic authors clearly describe a brown dwarf star. So I'm not going to get into this today, but supposedly there's a lot of historical documentation from the Sumerians, from the Celts, from Egyptians or these types of people that they've had these flybys thousands of years ago, okay? I would rather stick to what they're saying today and look, take a closer look at that um, because we could go down a lot of rabbit trails with this particular subject. So with this in mind, let's read the sidebar printed in the USA World News Report 1984. So this is from U.S. News and World Reports, September 10, 1984. Planet X, is it really out there? Now, they've got the JPEG Im images with these teachings. Obviously, I can't show them on an audio, but you can click into the article and look at these yourself, these uh, images. Shrouded from the sun's light, mysteriously tugging at the orbits of, of Uranus and Neptune is an unseen force that astronomers suspect may be Planet X, the tenth resident of Earth's celestial neighborhood. Last year, the IRAS, or Infrared Astronomical Satellite, circling in a polar orbit 560 miles from Earth, detected heat from an object about 50 billion miles away that is now the subject of intense speculation. Now, this is what they admitted to in 1994 with U.S. World and News and World Reports. U.S. News and World Reports, September 10th, 1984. Now, remember, they launched the IRAS satellite, was it in 1983? So now they've had this time to, to compile some of the information, and what they're admitting to is that this IRAS telescope, 560 miles from Earth, detected heat from an object about 50 billion miles away. That is now the subject of intense speculation. Now, remember before I said, remember the, 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 the number that was associated with 1992? Let me just read that again. This is back to the New York Times report, the NASA press release from 1992. The NASA press release from 1992 said unexplained deviations in the orbits of Uranus and Neptune point to a large outer solar system body, four-date Earth masses on a highly tilted orbit beyond 7 billion miles from the Sun. This is what they admitted to in 1992. said it's beyond 7 billion. What did they say in 1994? U.S. News and World Report. The infrared astronomical satellite circling polar orbit detected heat from an object about 50 billion miles away that is now the subject of intense speculation. 50 billion? But in 1992, which is, uh, what are we talking, eight years later? They said it's only 7 billion, billion, year, 
uh, miles away. So in other words, in 1983, they admitted it was 50 billion miles away from the sun. In 1992, they said it was 7 billion. What does that mean? This is what NASA has admitted to. It means it's getting closer. Okay? So if there is any validity to this argument, I mean, I can see how they, would, they, would, they could make a case for this. All I can say now is that we don't know what it is yet, says Jerry Neubauer, director of Palomar Observatory for the California Institute of Technology. Scientists are hoping that one-way journeys of the Pioneer 10 and 11 space probes may help to locate the nameless body. But remember what I said. After the 1992 NASA press release, they have went silent on the subject. Totally silent. They don't want to panic the population. Okay. Some astronomers say the emitting heat object is an unseen collapsed star or possibly a brown dwarf star. I'm, again, I'm quoting from this U.S. News & World report. Or a protostar that never got hot enough to become a star. For decades, astronomers have noted that the objects of two huge distant planets, Neptunes and Uranus, deviate slightly from what they should be. According to the laws of physics, gravitational pulls from planet X would explain the deviation. Moreover, says Neubauer, if we can't show... If we can show that our own solar system is still creating planets, we'll know that it's happening around other stars, too. Well, okay, so that was that. That was the, our study on Planet X, and we got that thing in, under, in essentially under an hour. I'm going to go ahead and stop here, and we'll go ahead and finish up with our last part on the crystal skulls next. <laughs>